You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to a special episode of the 602 Club, another supplemental here, and I'm really excited tonight. Uh, John, hey, how's it going, man? Well, I'm the reason you're excited, Matt. Let's face it. Every time that I come in, Ruby opens up that top shelf liquor and we have something special and magical happen. That is so true, John. That is so true. Um, I'm glad Ruby's here too, because otherwise that would just sound weird. Yes, it would. It really would, wouldn't it? But I, you know, it's always uh, such a good time. I'm always very appreciative when you have me in. And I think that today is actually going to be, this is one of those really super special episodes, I think. No, I agree with you. Um, I am very excited about tonight. We have Christy Golding with us, and uh, she is going to be with us to talk about her book, Dark Disciple, that we both really loved. And I cannot wait to just kind of dive in like we do on Literary Treks um, with with an author and, and find out about her process. And this will be exciting because it'll be the first time that I'm getting to talk to a Star Wars author about a Star Wars book. I, I've talked to, to John Jackson Miller but it's been about his Star Trek work. It's not been about Kenobi or Knight Errant or anything, which mm-hmm. is always stinks because I'm like, I just kind of want to talk about Star Wars with you as well. So this will be a lot of fun. I think so. I think so. I, I have a feeling we're going to learn something special tonight. I think so, too. Um, well, before we go, of course, wanted to remind everybody, the 602 Club is part of Trek FM, which is... An amazing place for a Star Trek podcast, as well as everything else that we do here on the 602. Um, you can find the shows at iTunes.com slash Trek FM. We have 20 different shows on the network talking about all the series of Star Trek, behind the scenes of Star Trek, creators of Star Trek. We've got, I mean, different perspectives, books and comics, and everything in between, plus, of course, everything we do here in the 602 Club. And I hope you'll check us out. We're on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. We've got the MP3 file on the website at trek.fm, and you can also get the RSS link there as well. So you can pop that into any podcatcher that you've got and get the shows any way you want to listen. I hope you will check us out at trek.fm and all the different podcasts and, of course, on iTunes where we're a featured provider at itunes.com slash trek.fm. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, there's a few ways you can do that. We've got the website at trek.fm, and you could go to trek.fm slash contact. Send us a message here on the 602 Club about anything that's on your mind show-wise or things you'd like to see, you'd like to see us do. We're on Twitter at Trek FM, at Facebook, at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. And of course, we've got the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group. We'd love to have you there. We have some of the best conversations ever, and it is a private group for only the listeners. So only you listening to this episode right now know about this group, and it creates great conversation. John and I are there every day having a fun time, and I hope you'll join us. Just type Babel into the search field on Facebook. You can go to the website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar, and we look forward to seeing you there. Well, John, 
I think it's time to grab something good to drink and head into the 602 and uh, talk to Christy. After you, good sir. Well, John, I cannot contain my excitement tonight. I'm really glad that, one, Star Wars has given us so much to talk about recently in the 602. And uh, we both covered the Dark Disciple Clone Wars mm-hmm. novel that came out that um, gave us, I think, one of the best Clone Wars stories we've ever had. Absolutely. And, yes. Yeah. And uh, as you all can hear, we have author Christy Golding with us tonight to talk about her book, Dark Disciple. Hi, Christy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're we're really excited. So yeah, very. Yeah. Just really want to underline how excited we are because uh, just our, <laughs> you know, we know that the book has been very well received in general, but we uh I I went through I know that both of us went through the book so fast because we just couldn't put it down. It's it's and we're really looking forward to talking to you about uh how it came to be. Well, Christy, um everybody kind of has a Star Wars story of of what, how they found the saga and you know kind of what made them a fan and and stay with it. For you, when did you first find Star Wars and then what kind of kept you coming back for more? Well, I was one of the originals. Um, I was uh, 13 years old when uh, the summer of 1977 hit, and um, I found it along with the rest of the world uh, in May, and um, it was truly something that that changed my life. I had a, a penchant for getting into things very intensely when I was younger, and still do to a certain extent, and um I have my parents to thank because even though they were not big science fiction fans and had no idea what I, what I loved about this so much, um, that summer they dropped me off at the movie theater every Saturday and every Sunday, right when the first showing was, and then they would come pick me up for dinner, and then I'd go back on Sunday and I'd do the same thing. And so that was how I spent my summer in 1977, was uh, in a nice, cool, dark theater. Um, so it was, it was really just amazing to me and, um, Empire did not disappoint and Jedi was amazing. And, uh, then there was a lull and then we got more Star Wars and now we're about to get even more Star Wars (laughs) with the big three, which is honestly, um, I never thought I'd see that. I really didn't think that was ever going to happen. I thought that the time for that had come and gone, and I just had resigned myself to not seeing it. So I am hugely excited. Excellent. Yeah, that's uh, hearing you uh, tell your story. It's kind of um, I, I'm I'm a, a little bit younger, but yeah, the 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 movie theater experience back then is so different than the movie theater experience now, and it's just it's so much fun to think back at uh, everything that's changed since then and how Star Wars itself reflects it. Absolutely. It's 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 never gone away. It's always, always been there. It does. It is one of those things that just feels like there was never a time before Star Wars. And that doesn't happen with very many franchises, but Star Wars is one of those elite few where you're just like, was there ever a time? But Do, do we just tell time these days? You know, BSW before Star Wars. 
<laughs> well, I, I, I certainly do. Well, for you having, you know, seen both, do you have a favorite character from the the original trilogy, and then maybe a character, uh, favorite character from the the prequel trilogy? Oh, I, I have to say, I imprinted quite early on Luke Skywalker. Uh, that scene. It was so beautiful with the music swelling where, where he's standing looking out as the suns are setting on Tatooine. Um, I, I literally do have a very concrete memory of, of seeing that scene for the first time. And I can, I can tell you where I was in the movie theater. It was just that, that profound. Um, so, so definitely I've always been a Luke girl. And uh, in the prequels, I have to say I really got to know Ben we all got to know him. We only briefly saw him, of course, as an old man, as the wise old mentor. And um, I thought Ewan McGregor, who is a tremendous actor, did such a wonderful job taking him uh, and aging him through those three movies. Well, I, I think uh, you've just cemented yourself as one of my favorite people. Um, <laughs> because that's kind of where I fell, too. You know, uh, when I was a kid, Luke was my favorite. And then as I grew up, Obi-Wan kind of became the one that I really liked. And then, of course, the prequels just blew the lid off of loving Obi-Wan because there was so much more to love. Um, so, yeah. Wow, that's really, really cool. I love I love kind of figuring out where people, what characters stood out to them because that's one of the best things about Star Wars. There's so many different characters and people love them for the strangest reasons. You know, even, you know, characters that seem like, oh, you love a droid, but well, we all know why we all love R2-D2 because he has some of the most personality in the entire series. He does. The, both of the droids are, are absolutely wonderful. It's amazing how how uh, endearing they are. Well, for you, I know that this was the first time to be through the Clone Wars. And you're no stranger to Star Wars literature. Uh, you've written the Legends line. You did the Fate of the Jedi series. And I really enjoyed your work there. I, I liked that series a lot. And I kind of wanted to know for you, because you're you're new to Clone Wars, what it was like digging into that series. And, and then, of course, writing in the new canon as opposed to you know what you did with the Legends line. Well, it was actually uh, easier to do this um, simply because I, I think that doing the Fate of the Jedi series will probably continue to be at the top of the most challenging things that I've, I've ever done to come into uh, a series and do three of the nine books, but only the middle books. You never get to kick it off and you never get to wrap it up. Um, and to try and learn a history of, you know, that's 40 years in the making with so many characters in the EU to keep track of. It was really quite daunting. So for the Clown Wars, it was kind of easy. It was all in one handy dandy place. You just kind of sit down and you turn on your Netflix and you just settle back with a drink and you watch. And um, I, I really enjoyed doing that. Um, I, I had been told that the show was good, and it certainly was, and I got very, very fond of it. Uh, and by the end, I was um, I was in kind of a bleak place because we all know where this all goes. And uh, I really thought the whole story of the clones, and I loved and I hated that they made so many memorable individuals in the clones um, because it was just, it was so tragic. 
just so unspeakably tragic what their whole lives you know why they were made how they were made what they were made for and what they would eventually become and yet they didn't know this and they were just themselves so i thought that was very uh, powerful and tragic and i really really enjoyed it and of course uh i was there mainly to learn about ventress and what a joy that was to get to see uh the episodes that highlighted her some really really wonderful stuff there yeah ab- absolutely um and in terms of that though in terms of looking at you know the series through the lens of ventress was there uh, did that color how you saw the other episodes as well and was there something about her origin uh with the night sisters that you found maybe an avenue uh because of uh other works you had done was, was there an in with her that you were able to find through the rewatch. I loved the whole Night Sisters idea, the whole concept of them and the stories that involved them were extremely powerful and very moving. Um, and I knew that the scripts addressed it and I knew that uh, they were going, we were going to go back to Dathomir um, at part of the book. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to, give spoilers because i don't know if this is spoiler free or not but um spoilers this is okay spoiler territory Um, it is okay yeah we're gonna we're gonna make this a spoiler podcast that way you can talk as much as you'd like about your as freely as you would like we will yeah everybody knows that that we we don't like to uh restrain anybody Okay, well, Rosebud is a sled. <laughs> there we go. Now that we've got that out of the way. <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, so I knew by reading, I'd read the scripts. I had eight scripts, and I had four animatic versions of the first, of the, of the first four scripts. And then I, I first saw all the ones with her and then I sat down and I watched all of it so that I could put her in context in her world. Now that I had a little bit better grasp of her personality, I just sat and I just just watched straight through. Um, And so, yes, I was always looking to see, oh, that's a great line. Um, You know, that that tells me something about this character that she's going to interact with. I'll, I'll remember that. Uh, so I was, I was looking at it from a research purpose, but it really got a little hard because I just enjoyed it so much. And there were actually times that I'm like, Oh crap, I, I need to go back. <laughs> so I wasn't paying attention to, to, uh, you know, what the listening post looked like. I was too busy enjoying oh. the episode, you know, as a, for instance. Sure. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was, it was good enough that it got me sidetracked and I did have to go back and, and watch a few things. What were some of the other things, just kind of getting to sit down and, and watch this for the first time and, and being able to watch it all together, what are some of the other things just about the Clone Wars and the series that, that stood out to you um, that you ended up enjoying in a way that you thought you you didn't even know you could? I thought it was, and I'm, I hope I don't massacre his name, Matt Lanter was yes, the Matt voice Lanter. of... of uh of Anakin. And I just mm-hmm. thought he did an amazing job. I really loved Anakin by the time it was all done. And that oh, one episode definitely. where he starts to really start the slide down uh, when he, he meets Tarkin and that moment oh, where yeah, they no. shake the hands mm-hmm. and that gloved hand, because of course Anakin's wearing his gloves 
that glove tan and the faint faint music of the uh, you know the imperial march in the background i was just like oh i got chills yeah. uh and, and it's like watching a a train wreck you know you know it's coming you know where he's going to end up and when he got cruel to padme at the end and said such harsh things and i was just like my i was like no no this could all be avoided you don't have to go there but of course we do and so that that was that was a bit hard but gosh um just there's just so much the clones i didn't expect to really uh like them so much um uh, fives just broke my heart oh, um, yeah. i always liked him and um, so it, there was just, there were so many wonderful things. There were a lot of smaller characters. And um, uh, again, we, we got to see so much more of Obi-Wan. And um, he really became, in the latter part of the book, he was a focal character because we were not getting into Voss's head because we didn't want to tip off the reader as to what might mm. or might not be happening. And so most of the reactions that weren't for Ventress's point of view had to be from, from Obi-Wan's. And so I really got to, to know him better and to just kind of sit with him. And there's, um, there's a speech at the very end, oh, which uh, yeah. really favorite. just kind of came out in one sitting just out of how upset I was. <laughs> Cause I, you know, I, I go along for the ride as well as my readers and uh, just really summed up, I, I hope, um, uh, how Kenobi was feeling about this and how, how broken he was. You did capture that. Absolutely. Like uh, Matt and I have cited that, that speech in specific um, previously. Like it, you, you did really capture it. it, it it's really a, a wonderful, wonderful moment in the book. But I, and there's one question that I hate to ask, but I feel obliged to ask because this is sort of an ongoing debate about the Clone Wars. Did you watch it in the order that the episodes aired or did you watch it linearly? Did they give you a chronological order? Um, I did not get a chronological order, so I watched them. But but bear in mind, I started watching just the Ventress episodes completely oh. out of context. And okay. then I went back. So uh, I, I did it in, in a third and different way. <laughs> Cool. More different S. Yeah, I think that's a cool idea, though, to go through, you know, if you've you've seen the series before, go through and pick out those specific episodes for your favorite character and watch it that way almost and, and really get a sense of, okay, what does the show say about your character? That's really cool. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to do that with fives. You mentioned fives <laughs> earlier. Yeah, I'm going to do that with fives. Yeah, and then you see their arc. You know, with the yeah. show as a background, not as, you know, the, the centerpiece. What were some of the things you talked of specifically about writing uh, Obi-Wan there? And, and one of the things that John and I picked up on was the, the interesting way that you put Obi-Wan and Yoda kind of on one side and the rest of the council and Anakin on the other and that was a really interesting thing to see how these two characters are drifting one way and the rest of the characters are drifting the other way uh, on the council and, and just Jedi in general. Um, was that something that you kind of saw in the scripts or is that something, especially with that speech and, and with Yoda and Obi-Wan that you were able to kind of dive into more? Um, it was present in the scripts, but not to that extent. Um there were a couple of times, and this was something that I spoke with with my editor and with Jennifer Heddle and uh, 
a story group about there, we felt we needed to have, as you say, almost two sides because we were, we were seeing in the scripts, sometimes there were some, some zingers that Obi-Wan was saying, and they, that just didn't feel right to me with where I had taken the character. I didn't feel that this character, as he was developing, would say something nasty to Ventress. You know, I, I just, that wasn't with the, the flow that, that the book was going. And a book has to find its own voice separate from the source material. Um, just like a movie is different f- from an adaptation of a book. It's, you've got to have the movie story and the movie feel. And you, ha- you have to do the same when you have a, a, have a script. You have to flesh it out and make it become uh, appropriate and feel a good fit for the new medium. And um, so that was that was something that happened. And it really became kind of clear that, that we did have these two sides. So we put Yoda and, and um, Kenobi a little bit more than they were on the script on this side. And there were some extra scenes, um, that we needed to have. And, and so there were some more conversations that took place between those two and, and their misgivings. And, um, I tried to have Yoda be in the middle because he has authorized this mission. He's already done it. You know, he's, so I couldn't have him saying, gosh, you're right. This really was a stupid thing to do. We shouldn't be doing this because yeah, he's authorized it. He's got to have at least some feeling that this needs to happen. But for him, I think it wasn't, for him, it, the point of it wasn't to kill Dooku. The point of it was the growth that happened because of the event. And that just really, like he was getting, you know, this feeling, this is why we need to bring Ventress in. That makes sense. And this is why this needs to happen. And in motion events are... And and so the, I think he knew that there was a bigger end game. There was a bigger lesson here than just the death of a single man. That is, yeah. I think that's one of the most interesting things is, is reading the book. Um, I was just, I was really struck by your characterization of Obi-Wan and him being my favorite character. I, I loved in some ways um, that somebody says to him, you know, you always take the high road. Um, and, and that's always how I think of him is, is being high road Kenobi. Um, mm-hmm. and it, I love that it played so organically into the story though, to see the way that the Jedi council, I think is, is being fractured and, and pulled into a moral quagmire that they just, they're only, it seems like at this point, totally realizing that, they're not where they want to be at all. And I really liked the way that this seems very relevant to our world. Um, and, and, you know, that good intentions, you know, that it's fine, but it can lead you, you know, to hell if you're not you know, doing it the right way. And so I just really, really liked the way that you were able to weave all of that in. And, you know, I think Star Wars, as with anything, it it really means the most when it's almost showing us something about ourselves. Well, as I'm sure you all know, the original Star Wars was fashioned after Joseph Campbell's work with the Hero's Journey, yes, yes. which is a a deep uh, examination of the subconscious mythos that we we find, and we seem compelled to keep telling the story again and again and again and again because I think it's part of what it means to be human, and it's hardwired into our brains. 
Um, so that doesn't surprise me at all. And I too like the episodes that really do border on, on the mythic and, and the magical. And also not just mythic out there as in the wonders of the forest, but the mythic of what it means to be human, whether or not that's your actual species. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. in Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Important distinction. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, but I, I do want to say, though, that I, I think that um, you truly excelled bringing Windu to life, too, because I think that if there's a character that um, does, you know, singularly personify the Jedi's slide toward, um, you know, toward a bad fate, it's him. And I think that you really you did a, a, an excellent job of of making him, um, I guess you would say, relatably damnable because he's he's he comes across to me and I, I i wonder if you drew for did you draw from any characters uh that you knew uh or had seen elsewhere uh because for me he has very much a jack nicholson sort of feel from a few good men where he's you know you need me on that wall and like that's the feeling i got from windu was there any purposeful allusion to uh an historical character like that uh no not intentionally um it it was a lot of it was there in the scripts. And for me, my challenge was making him the voice to push in this direction and to be tough and to be hard about it, but still be a Jedi while doing it. And, you know, for and that's one one of the reasons the the scripts picked up with uh Voss walking into the council chamber and getting his assignment. So the whole scene with the Moran, the whole um, a uh, little fun bit with with him and Desh uh, to introduce his character. Those those were my works, and I wanted to do that. I wanted us to open with something terrible. And remember, I'm getting these scripts isolated from anything that went before or after them. I don't know, so it could well be that a previous es- episode had something really horrible that made the Jedi. But just to start with the 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 those scripts i was like that's a big jump we need to feel as the readers why Mm. this is being put on the table and so that's why the opening sequence has such a high body count and why it's so calculated and why dooku is doing it because he knows the council is going to see it and hopefully by the time you've read that you're feeling as gut punched as the council is and this argument which makes sense in the end we do all have to agree that this makes sense everything leads back to this man once he is gone chaos will erupt this could save millions not thousands but millions of lives we've just watched what 10 20,000 go up 5 minutes before and so we really needed to have something to make his argument seem like the right thing to do. And uh, that was a challenge because it is not very Jedi-like, but I wanted to do something that would make the reader go, yeah, you know, if we could stop him, that really would be good. Well, and it and what's so great, I mean, to quote, obviously uh the other franchise with spock you know the needs the many outweigh the needs the few or the one and so the the fact that this event leads the jedi to say 
okay, it would be better if we just killed one guy and and finally ended this so that we could save millions. And yeah, that that rationale it's 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 almost it's almost impossible to 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 it's, argue with. It's seductive like the dark side. Mhm. Cuz it seems like it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And you know, who knows? Maybe it is the right thing to do, but it's not the right thing for Jedi to do. Well, and and it was so interesting watching Voss's slide because this whole idea from Ventress, it, you you needed to fight fire with fire. That's what she was saying. And in the end, what we see, I, I loved throughout the book, is that by the end we we watch that. No, it, it's it's actually the light side. It's the very personification of the light side, which is love, true sacrificial love that wins the day. You know, um, and I loved that whole lesson that the jedi are having to learn unfortunately at this point no you can't you can't fight dark side with dark side um because that that's that's not what wins the day yeah uh certainly uh you know actually that that sort of feels um a little bit like uh i believe it was martin luther king said you can't drive out darkness with darkness only light can do that i was just thinking that yeah yeah (laughs) um but you know Given the fact that um, so many of these characters are going sort of through a a personal um, arc, and we you know we, we've talked about how you know you researched um, what pieces of you are there uh, in this story. What I, we know, you know, that you you crafted uh, certain parts of the story from the script and expanded on certain things. But were there any um, life experiences or? Uh, personal events that you use to inform uh, somebody's journey or something, you know, in, in exchange or a conversation that that stuck with you through time. And this was your chance to express it. Well, the one thing, you know, I try, especially, especially in media work and especially, especially in novelizations, um, I try to be invisible. I try for the reader to forget that they are reading instead feel so immersed in the story that they're not, you know, saying, wow, that was an interesting point that author Christy Golden raised, or, you know, I, I want them to be present. But I will tell you that a lesson that I have learned is that anytime you stray too far from who you are and what you feel is right, you're going to get in trouble. And I think that this story was a perfect, uh, it, it already had that in it. Uh, and that was just some, a theme that, that I kind of ran with a little bit and was able to get uh, full flower with, with Kenobi in the se- second part of the book. Um, that, uh, you know, the still small voice, this is wrong, this is wrong. And just this, this knowing that th- this just is not the way. This is not the way, not for Jedi. And uh, all of all of the the stuff went from that when Ventress, you know, wanted to to be close to to Voss and to tell him about his master and didn't, you know, that that was wrong. When you have the opportunity to be true to move, if you have the choice to move closer to who you truly are, and you move away from it, that's bad. Were there any parts where you were, uh, when you were developing it, 
and uh, you know um, somebody would review. Were there any parts that they pushed back on? Was there anything where they said something was too far or that you had to soften? Oh, I hate to get into into stuff like that. It sounds like oh, uh, telling tales enough. out of school, sure. but I will say there were some. I mean, there always are. Uh, there's also areas where they want me to uh, do more. It's it's always a, a a back and forth. When you're writing a tie-in, you you don't you're not writing just to please yourself. You are writing to please the owners of the IP. You're writing to please the fans who already know these characters, uh, and who have certain expectations that they want to meet. Um, so there's always a little bit of, well, what about, no, well, then what about that? Okay. And what about this? That sounds great. What about the other? No, not so much. It's just, it's just, um, a a negotiation on, on some things, but, uh, I'm very fortunate in that with, with here, here and in with, um, my, my Warcraft work, I work with editors who trust me and who trust my instincts. So um, most of the times, if I had something and they were a little leery about it, I'd say, let me do it. I'll take it out. I'll change it. You know, I will just see how it works in the book. And most of the time, they're usually pretty happy with with how how I've managed to do something. What were some of your favorite things about getting to to write this story and, and getting to work in the Clone Wars era? And then maybe what were some of the hardest for you to kind of get your hands around and, and really make it? Uh, work the best it could uh, uh the best thing about this book was really getting to hang out with ventress and boss because they're such great characters and i loved the um i won't say filler because that sounds negative but i will say expanded scenes um that i got to write most of them were earlier in the book as we got to know them and so just hanging out with them and their banter back and forth in that that play and you have two very sharp wits uh, engaged uh, w- with each other and two very mistrustful people who are, who are learning to trust, who are learning to take that step. Um, I really, truly enjoyed that. I, I so enjoyed that uh, interaction between the two. Um, negative, what was hard about it? I guess it's hard to, it is hard to expand because you don't ever want to drift too far away from the skeleton. It's like you get the script as a skeleton and you have to put the muscle and the flesh and the sinew and the skin on it, but you don't want to put too much because then that starts distorting the shape. And so it's always hard to know what is necessary and what isn't. Uh, And there was actually something that um, I know a lot of people were sad that they didn't get to see in the book, which was shown as celebration. There's a scene that they showed from the animatics of Boba Fett and company uh, actually oh, yeah. capturing Dooku. Yeah. And it's this great action scene and it's fun and you see each of the bounty hunters using their own tactics and and it was great. But and when I got there, I was like, this is not where our attention is. That's fun for a show that has to have an action scene somewhere in the middle of those 22 minutes. But as a story, this is a crux. This is a pivotal scene. And to cut away to a fun, oh my gosh, hey, these guys got Dooku and it's a great action scene, to me would have diluted the intensity of Ventress and Voss engaged in a life and death battle and he's turned Sith. And I didn't think we should. And I know a lot of people have seen that and they're like, oh, but I think 
it, that's that's 2020 hindsight. I think if they had actually read that and I put it in there, I I think that it would have uh, impacted the power of that scene. So it's all those little calls that you have to make. One of the things that had to be the most interesting for you was the fact that, you know, you got to watch through the Clone Wars and there are some amazing and, and Ventress has one of the best arcs in the show. I mean, hands down, she and, and I think Ahsoka kind of steal the uh, for me, the the arcs um, that they're in and where their character goes from beginning to end is is pretty fantastic. But Voss, on the other hand, only has one episode that he's in. Yep. Um, talk about uh, and, and and he's he's huge in the expanded universe. Talk about writing that character and and making him feel like he's as deep as you know Ventress. Um, when you know for you when you're just watching the Clone Wars, well, we've got one episode and he's a little bit like. Um, Jimmy Buffett in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> the dude abides. That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's, yeah, the dude. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's less of a challenge for me than it might seem because I'm not coming at this as just a viewer. I'm coming this as somebody who routinely pulls characters out of thin air and makes them hopefully you know, memorable and funny and poignant and powerful. I, this is what I do. I, I get to make up characters. And with Voss, I had a lot of room to do that. Um, I did have the eight scripts uh, and I kept my attention on that. I, I chose not to go and research the comics because this was the new canon. And I was like, let's keep everything in this tidy little basket that they have given me. Um, because I know, and you can tell that they were already looking to the comics for parts of his character. They weren't doing it completely slavishly, but they were pulling bits and pieces. Um, so that's what I wanted to focus on. I didn't want to kind of clutter my, my interpretation of him with that. I wanted to find first what was there and then build on that. If he's like this, then he'll probably be like this in this situation and like that in that situation. And so it was, it was simply, I did get to hear his voice, which was great. I did get to see him move, which was wonderful. And that's enough for me and knowing where he was going. And it, when you know where someone's going and you know what type of person they are, Hopefully, as a writer, you can you can get them there in a way that the reader will happily go along with you. Yeah, I, well, I, I think you definitely succeeded because uh, I was never, um, uh, you know, speaking for myself, I was never the world's biggest uh, Voss fan um, until I read this. Like th this, in this, he became the character that I, you know, he, he's a wonderful character now to me, and just you know thrillingly uh, uh, characterized. So, um, you know, stepping away from, you know, the comics gave you room to breathe. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in terms of that, were there still any, um, uh, you know, considering you are working in the new canon, were, were there any are areas that they defined the basket where, uh, you know, maybe some elements came in and they said you, you can't, because when they were working in the old 
expanded universe back in the uh, the the old days, back in the nineties. You know, there there were story elements where they said you know, somebody would wind up straying onto paths and stuff like that. Were there were there any things when you were developing that you accidentally uh, stuck your toe over the line? I don't recall. Um, you know, and, and admittedly, my my basket was pretty well defined because it was a novelization of already mm-hmm. existing material. It wasn't just me coming up with an idea. Um, the only thing. Excuse me, I think the only thing that might have qualified for that was I did decide to have a Pentoran who had mm. no tattoos, but that didn't even happen until the short story later. So that's really, really the only thing that, that I can think of. But mm. um, no, it was, I've, I've done this enough to kind of suss out where all the walls are and where the doors are. And go, okay, now I know this room. And um, I don't really feel the need too much to go beyond it. Although I did get to create an entirely new race. And that makes me really happy. Yeah. <laughs> and it was pretty cool. The Yeah, the, the stinger was pretty awesome. I thought, that, I thought that was a really neat, like when he when he brought that out. And that, you know, just that, because we are in spoiler welcome territory that when it came out and you knew that it was that basically it was over for him that was just that was a really tough scene to read i can imagine that writing his fate was probably pretty tough to write i got very fond of him i got very fond of the moran in general you know to you know you you need to do oh you need to have it in your head we didn't actually see that much but i had to have naming conventions i had to have societal casts as it were i had to have uh, or rather paths. It wasn't as, as rigid as a cast. I had to have this culture. I had to have, you know, what kind of a culture would it be when based upon the, the flick of a wrist, you are basically declaring murder and committing suicide. You know, what does that do to a people? So all, all of these, these things, and it's just there, you know, not very much, not very much of the book, but it was, it was fun to create. So who knows, maybe we'll, we'll see one somewhere going forward. You never know. For you with this story, um, you know, this is a Jedi love story in a lot of ways. And the only kind of Jedi love stories we've seen so far are Anakin and and Padme. And then we've seen Obi-Wan, of course, at this point, deal with the idea of love with Satine. Um, Talk about just kind of having to create that romance between um, Voss and Ventress and, and making it feel real so that you know by the end when we're wiping our eyes because we've got something in them um there's, you know, there's a little speck uh, i got it yeah um that that you know you feel that weight um especially at the end um and i guess part of that is, question two is did you was ventress always going to die at the end ventress was always going to die at the end there was some conversation at early on about what was up for get, for grabs to uh, make the book a better book and what was kind of set in stone that we didn't want to violate. And that, that came up because I desperately wanted her and Voss to run away together because <laughs> that's just how I roll. But I really think uh, it would have been a lesser book. I think that so many of her lessons and all that she had done and all that she had learned and all that he had gone through uh, would have been cheapened had it uh, 
ended in any other way. And so it was, it was hard. And, um, there's a quote by Robert Frost that says, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. So, uh, if you guys have tears, well, guess what that means <laughs> for me, <laughs> but, um, yes, that was, that was something that, that mm. was there in the original, original scripts and something that we did decide to do and, uh, to do with as much respect and, uh, certainty that it was the right thing to do well the the way that you you had it to to give it this um it's not i I don't want to use the word redemptive because it doesn't feel right but the fact that through her was this feeling of rebirth of a future possible for you know some you know far in the future night sisters to come back like there was this feeling of her death was not just not in vain in terms of the story but her death even possibly served a higher purpose for others down the road well i think there were hints in these in the original script that and this goes back to the thing we were saying about yoda that the force was at work through this whole story arc and i think we can't necessarily say what the force was trying to do. I think some of it we discussed, uh, some of the uh, light that was supposed to have been shone on things we discussed with with Kenobi, and who who knows? Um, I do think that this felt right. And what I always envisioned, and I did not want to go into details because I wanted this to be something that the reader got to do for him or herself at that juncture was when she basically has the, a gift from the force and time just freezes for a second and she's able to see everything. She's able to see, I think I said, every turn of every path from every second and to understand and make her choice from this place of absolute knowledge and that it was the right thing to do. Now I have my feelings about what I thought she saw and why, but I really wanted, I didn't want to take anything away from the reader at that point. Excellent. Uh, And like so much of star Wars, it gives us the opportunity that we like to do ad nauseum as fans is to debate, Oh man, what, what did she see? What didn't she see? You know? And I, I think that that's what creates such, um, successful stories in the star wars realm and and just in general is leaving enough to the imagination of the reader to be able to think what happens next so you got the opportunity to work now in the clone wars era with dark disciple and was just kind of wondering is is that an era that you'd like to be able to return and write more stories in and then is there uh any kind of wish if you could write any star Wars book in any time period with the new Canon, uh, where would you like to go? Well, you know, I got to meet, uh, Chuck Wendig at, um, Comic-Con and he's a super nice guy and I really, really like him a lot, which is good because otherwise I would hate his guts because he has gotten, <laughs> as far as I am concerned, <laughs> the coolest <laughs> of all the pretties that, uh, that are out there, the chance to pick up, um, which by the way, I did thank you very much when I was 15 in my notebook, but I am a bit jelly. 
Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I would love to do that. I would love to to write perhaps um, also uh, where Heir to the Jedi was, you know, because I'm a Luke girl. I would love to write Luke Skywalker. Um, but I did certainly enjoy the Clone Wars and I, I feel like I know a lot of those characters so much better now. And um, I would not mind returning to that era either. So, Well, Christy, I loved, and I know John did too, having you here tonight to talk. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Dark Disciple. And before we go, as, as we do anytime we have somebody on, uh, let everybody know, one, where they can find you online, and then two, what of yours, since you're an author, do you have coming out or that you've written that you'd like people to know about uh, so they kind of can get an opportunity to find more uh, of Christy Golden's works? Oh, I appreciate that. Um, I am easily found on Twitter, at Christy Golden, capital C, capital G. Um, I'm on Facebook, Christy Golden. Um, and to add a little variety, my webpage is christygolden.com. <laughs> I figure let's keep it, keep it, keep it simple for people to find me. Very straightforward. Um, and, uh, most recently what I'm working on right now is a, um, I'm doing a prequel to the Warcraft movie that's going oh, to be okay. coming out next wow. summer. And I'm very excited about that. Awesome. And um, I have, as you mentioned, I have the works in um, Fate of the Jedi in the Legends era now. And um, I also have uh, my most recent Warcraft book is called War Crimes. And that was pretty cool because it is the trial of one of the major characters from the game. And uh, we have a war crime trial. And I don't think that's been done in, in gaming fantasy fiction before. So... Pretty, pretty fun thing to try and do. Oh, cool. That sounds awesome. Thank you so much for, for being with us, and I really appreciate it. And, of course, you are welcome back anytime you just want to talk um, some, some Star Wars with us or anything else. Oh, thanks, guys. Well, that was that was a lot of fun. That I, I, uh, I think that I like Dark Disciple even more now. I I think I'm going to accelerate its uh, return to my rereading queue. That was uh, I, what a pleasant person and how much fun learning about her process. That that was really cool, man. You know, one of the things that I I love about Dark Disciple, John, is the fact that I read it and you know we got the advanced readers copy. But it was so good. I was like, this has to be on my shelf, and mm -hmm. I have to be able to pull it off the shelf now and reread it. And there's a there's a couple of books in, in the new canon that are going to go along with it. Um, but Christy really, I think, cemented herself that she deserved to be on the shelf next to, say, Revenge of the Sith's novelization by Matthew I, Stover. I mean, that's, I that's the pinnacle, I think, of for me. Uh, of Star Wars writing, and and this just I, it deserves to be beside that. You know what? Actually, keying on the idea, like one of the things we were talking about about uh, looking at a series through an unexpected character or focusing on a certain thing, I would actually be really interested to do a reread of Dark Disciple, and then immediately after the novelization of Episode Three, just for the love story contrasts about the different way that Anakin and Padme approach their relationship versus the total trust and abandonment that 
Voss and Ventress give to each other. I think that would be cool. I think you've just hit on something. I want to then add to that. Before I read Dark Disciple, I want to watch the Obi-Wan and Satine episodes and Ooh. the way they handle their relationship. Oh, man. Then watch Voss and and Ventress in, in, as reading Dark Disciple. And then... You know, watch and or read episode three with the way that you know Anakin and Padme, because those are the real, like, big relationships. Yeah. Uh, throughout Star Wars, I mean, we don't. I mean, yes, Han and Leia, but you know, they're they're not two Jedi. You know, and, and Leia's not a Jedi at that point, so there there's nothing, there's no issue there. But yeah, I think that would be fantastic. Oh, I I like I like your addition there. I think that. Uh... Oh, there's not much time left in summer. Better get cracking on that. <laughs> Maybe that's my fall assignment. That yeah. Um, well, unfortunately, my fall assignment is going to be all the books I have to do for literary tracks, all the books we're gonna be doing for the six oh two club because of Star Wars books coming back with oh, that's uh, Aftermath right. and uh Lost Stars and then those three uh kids novels I think we're gonna end up talking about, John. We've got too much work ahead of us. But you know what? It's important to love your work, Matt. And I'd say right now we love our work. <sighs> yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, man. Well, guys, before we go, um, wanted to remind all of you that we are doing the iTunes review contest right now, which is going on, which means that if you review us and rate us on iTunes, you can be entered to win a $50 gift card from Amazon.com as well as the USS Vengeance from Eagle Moss. That's going to be Norman Lau providing that. And, of course, that is the oversized USS Vengeance. So I hope everybody will go ahead and make their way over to iTunes, give us a five-star rating and review. I do want to say thank you to all of you who have already done that. Everybody who has ever reviewed is going to be in this drawing, so don't worry. If you've already reviewed the show, we appreciate you so much. You're in this too. Uh, and I have to say a quick shout out to some people who have reviewed the show recently, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, and that's 17 Brian, and then Ryan123450. And apparently Ryan also has my luggage combination, so dang you, <laughs> I have to change my luggage combination. That's my garage code. Yeah. <laughs> Really appreciate you guys doing that for us. Um, I also appreciate that with 30 different star ratings, we're all at five stars, John. And with the 21 written reviews, five stars. So uh, when we say that this is a five-star podcast, that is because of you, the listener, making us so. Right on. And you know what? Let, let me just say, as somebody that has the pleasure to occasionally appear on here, well earned, sir. This is uh, this has earned all of those ratings through and through. Well, I appreciate that, John. Uh, another way that everybody can help us out is the same way that Ken Tripp does every month. And he supports us on Patreon, and he's one of my associate producers. And I really appreciate the fact that each month he helps this show keep coming to us each week. If you would like to be like Ken and choose a show that you would like to support... Uh, you would like to support the network, go to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see the different ways that you can help Trek FM keep all of this content coming to you each week. 
it is an expensive thing. We love doing it. This is our passion. Talking about these geek things here on the 602 Club, everything revolving around Star Trek that we do, we love bringing this content to you. And we just want to continue to be able to do that the best possible way. So help us out at patreon.com. We're a listener-supported network, so it's because of you that this happens. So check us out at patreon.com slash trekfm. We've got some great perks that come with the different milestone contribution levels, whether it's being an associate producer like Ken Tripp, being able to support us at a level that would get you on the Patreon roundtables where every month Will Win is hosting a special podcast for everyone that is at that level to get together and talk about something in Star Trek just the way we do here on the shows. You get to be a part of that. It gets dropped in the master feed for everyone to listen to. I can't tell you guys how much I've enjoyed listening to that recently. Um, We've got producer credits, exclusive content, and so much more. So check everything out at patreon.com slash trekfm. Now, John, um, before we let you go uh, from the 602, uh, before you kind of stagger out of here after (laughs) an amazing interview, let everybody know about uh, your own five-star podcast, because you have a couple, and then, of course, where to find you online if they want to hit you up and maybe talk a little more Dark Disciple or you know, anything else that we end up talking about. Well, I appreciate that, Matt. Yeah, I, I, there is a five-star podcast that I appear on on the Trek FM network called Commentary Trek Stars, where I am the uh, willing servant of Mike Schindler uh, as he continually uh, guides my Trek uh, awakening. And uh, I also appear on another podcast called Words with Nerds uh, that drops every Thursday, and you can find that through iTunes, Stitcher, and all the rest. And uh, if you want to bug me online, the best way to do it is through Twitter, and that's at Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. And uh, trust me, if, if you want to talk, that's the best way to get in touch with me. That and, uh, of course, everybody can find you in the Babel Conference kicking around. Oh, yes, about absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. especially if somebody wants to talk trash about Mike, then I will totally <laughs> jump right in there from the, just from the left field and suddenly jump in. All right, Ruby, cut him off. He's starting to trash the mic now. All right. Well, guys, uh, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can find me on Instagram at MRushing. You can find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones. We talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine, uh, the best Star Trek show out there. Uh, And, of course, if you don't believe me, just listen to the show, and Chris and I are going to do our best to convince you. Uh, We've got Literary Treks with Dan, uh, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. It's so much fun. We interview authors, kind of like how we did with Christy here. Basically getting the the behind-the-scenes info about writing the new Star Trek books that are coming out. And then you can also find me at my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the Force be with you.